Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strick and Roll. This is episode six. I'm your host, as always, Shwini Uh I am joined today by a first-time guest of any of the Pod Strickland Pods. No, you, you were on the mailbag once, yeah. right? With, uh, yeah. with Alex and Matt and uh, Zach? Yeah. 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 All right. So, just the first time you've been on with me. Uh, first time, we've been working on it for a while, finally got... Our schedules coordinate. So here you are. Uh, I'm joined by Jack Huntley. That's at by Jack Huntley on Twitter. He is a writer for the Strickland, uh, a feature writer, I should say, uh, and one of the best Knicks writers out there. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I am uh, delighted that we finally got to do this because uh, <laughs> you keep asking me, and it's just like, well, I've got a seven-second window on Wednesday <laughs> where we overlap. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. no, it's good. I'm happy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, we got it We got it timed perfectly so that you can talk Knicks and then you can get the fuck out of here and watch <laughs> uh, the mighty Brighton and Hove Albion play. Yeah, we might not be so mighty tonight, but I like the optimism. Anything is possible. Where are they playing? Uh, Chelsea. Oh, easy three points. Away. Oh, three points. <laughs> Yeah, easy three points. Stanford Bridge, one of the one of the easy uh, <laughs> easy away grounds to go to. We're losing uh, listeners right. by the second. <laughs> yeah, we can. We're gonna have. We're actually gonna have a long discussion about uh, <laughs> Tariq Lamptey's uh, forward attacking play. No, uh, nobody's here to listen to us talk <laughs> about the Premier League. But before we get started, uh, I would like to announce that the Strickland does have a Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to it. Uh, there are many tiers. There's three dollar tier. There's six dollar tier. The six dollar tier gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. It also gets you access to my mailbag with Jeremy and Drew every other week. In addition to that, you also get access to the Strickland Discord. Uh, there is also a nine dollar tier where you get access to this podcast right here, Strickland Roll, as well as weekly articles from Jack Huntley who I'll be having this discussion with, and Matthew Miranda, two of the absolute best Knicks and basketball and generally any kind of writing. Uh, best, Two of the best out there. Uh, so definitely check that out. There are also $50 tiers, $30 tiers, $50 tiers, and $100 tiers where you get access to much more, like potentially even hosting a pod uh, where you can yell at me and tell me how much of an idiot I am. Uh, but most importantly... This episode today is a holiday gift to everybody. It is completely free, but to access it, you need to go to our Patreon um, and access it directly. Uh, and then hopefully uh, that will convince you to subscribe to our Patreon in full. But either way, whether you do or not, uh, your support is much appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without much further ado, back to the pod. 
Uh, Jack, have you had the, did you watch the, have you had a chance to watch the game from last night? Yeah, I watched it this morning, like episode 36 of Good Nicks, Bad Nicks. It was uh, just bizarre, you know, a a win, but a bad win. It's, you know, good because it's a win, but bad because we're bad. And who are we playing? It's just, it's carnage. It's carnage. I'm I'm happy with the result. Go with that. Yeah, I'm happy they won. I am less happy about how they won, but. I thought there was like there. Were, I don't know. I don't. I actually try to avoid Twitter mostly during games because yeah, I don't know, it just it's Health. not really useful. Um, but I, I mean, just like scrolling through after the game, uh, I thought there was like an inordinate amount of focus on Julius Randall's body language, his attitude, and all of these nebulous things. Which look over the course of the season, I agree, have not been good. Um, last night, I don't know. I don't watch that. I didn't watch that game and felt like, I I know he had that really terrible defensive possession later on against, uh, I think it was Jaden McDaniels. He kind of just got hung up on a screen and then made zero effort to fight over it. McDaniels missed an open corner three. Uh, Breen commented on it also, but like that, and that was a terrible defensive possession. No doubt. I actually thought like, as far as the things that really pissed me off about how Julius has played this year, um, you know, like making rotations, being engaged defensively, crashing the glass, um, like not hijacking possessions from the jump, and then also like like arguing with the refs and not getting back on defense, that type of stuff. I actually didn't have a huge problem with how we played last night. And I don't know if I'm like, if I maybe I need to go back and watch the game, but like I don't know, like I just found the entire discussion around that individual piece. Like I don't think he played well, um, mostly because he didn't make any. I mean, he went fucking five or twenty from the field. You know, he got stuffed I think three separate times from by McDaniel's at the rim. Uh, you know, he obviously didn't play well, but I I just didn't like this performance to me. Just wasn't one where I'm like I didn't come away from it being like, wow, what a disgusting display by, like, the Knicks' proverbial franchise player. I, am I am I totally off on that, or what? What do you think? I don't think it was particularly bad, like, in terms of uh, the, the average performance, average Julius performance on the whole season. I just thought, like, in recent weeks, there has been a build-up effect of sort of uh, people losing patience with the same thing happening over and over again. And so when he has one of these like blunderous turnovers dribbling into a predetermined DHO. It's, it's just worse every time he does it. It's not the individual turnover. It's just, it's the frustration that comes of doing the same thing and failing the same way over and over again. There's obviously loads of good things he did. I thought, yeah, like you say, he was okay in a lot of ways. Um, in terms of the offense, I mean, this was just a really funky game anyway. So it's a weird one to pick to sort of, um, uh, hold up as an example of bad process because basically Minnesota muddied the game as a, a strategic sort of weapon and the Knicks don't really need an invite to get involved in a messy game. We'd be, we're glad to get involved into a messy game. So, you know, he he, he maybe I said a bit too much on Jalen McDaniels who he sees as a good matchup and definitely isn't a good matchup. I mean, if you're going to ice on someone, he likes those. He, he he sees those guys as sort of like barbecue chicken. He did. I remember he did it with the uh, the guy from the Pelicans as well. Herb Jones was it? 
and they yeah. just they do they bother him you know um he that, that's not a good matchup for him he can have some joy but if you're going to go to that as your default it's not going to go too well i thought kemba was okay you know they sort of took him away and it's on the rest of the knicks to make them pay um after he gets rid of the ball and then the defense is scrambling uh, he had some joy with that but it was just a messy game you know no one really apart from mitch particularly played out of their skins you know some people didn't get the opportunity to play out of their skins but that's uh <laughs> that's another thing and then that's that's probably part of it the overlap the frustration with julius is in, in part a frustration with tibbs so it, it's all a bit muddied really yeah i thought i thought kemba was was bad but uh to your point like this actually, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this game last year, but we had a game. It was the first. I want to say it was the. First, it was it was the first game or one of the first. I think it was yeah, it was the first game we played Miami last year. Um, oh. and Miami plays like, I I'm not comparing how good actually you know to be fair Minnesota's defense has been really good this year. Yeah, uh, it has. And like I know this sounds counterintuitive, like, their defense is probably better last night because they didn't have those guys that are missing, which yeah. is not like to say that Edwards and Cat and D'Lo wouldn't have helped them win the game or that their defense would have been uniquely awful if those guys came in. But, like, I do think their defense was better for not having them. Um, take that for what it's worth. Not this is not, and That's not, like, high praise of the Knicks, by the way, for beating them. Um, <laughs> but, like, if you go back to that Miami game, they did a lot of this same type of, like, aggressive trapping matchup zone type of stuff. And the Knicks really struggled to handle that in that game and in every game against Miami last season. And part of that is that Tibbs, like most of his, like one of the big things since Kemba's kind of come back into the fold is how often we're running high pick and roll for him to kind of trigger the offense and get it going. And Minnesota just took that away by aggressively trapping it. That's what Miami does frequently. And then if you look at it, we don't help that situation by switching the role man, right? When Mitch is in, he's the role man. So then, like, when they trap it, you can't drop it off to Mitch on the short roll. And Mitch isn't looking for a short roll pass. He's just diving to the rim. So then you're trapped out 30 feet from the, from the bucket. Uh, you're dribbling out to the – you're kind of strung out to the side. And then his only pass then, which he made several times yesterday, is a bailout pass to Julius in the opposite end of the floor, which he kind of has to, like, lob over there because he's Kemba. He's not, you know, tall. So he has to like <laughs> throw it over guys. Um, and so by that time, when Julius gets the ball, he go, he's going against the set defense, which as we know, which this is the frustration, right? And like, this is why I think the frustration is a little bit misplaced is like, yes, Julius went five of 20 and it was stagnant and he took a lot of ISO shots, which to, like, yes, they were ISO shots. But to me, a lot of them were bailout possessions in the sense that like you give him the ball with 14, 12, 10 seconds left against a set defense, we know what he's going to do. Like, that's what he is. That's who he is as a player. So when you put him in those situations and then you just constantly put him in that situation, then that becomes a schematic issue to me and a, a coaching issue to me more so than more so than a, a, a Julius is individually killing us on his own type of issue. And, um, you know, I was concerned watching that game yesterday because at no point at all through that game did Tibbs adjust. He didn't adjust to what they were doing. Um, 
and you know, really the adjustment that he could have made that was that that the, the the group that actually was okay and pretty good against the zone was his bench unit, which he did not play much at all. And the fact that he didn't play Obi against the zone is very concerning to me. Like that he went that he saw the zone, he saw how effective it was, and that at no point did he feel like, yeah, maybe I can give Randall and Obi a try here. That's really concerning to me. Um and increasingly so. Uh like 10, 10 minutes and 30 seconds for Obi Toppin in that game yesterday, given how they were defending us, is fucking, I mean, it's a fucking joke. It's atrocious coaching. Um, because to me, the easy fix, or not the easy fix, again, not, I can sit here and say that that would be the easy fix, but it's like, you know, maybe there's an adjustment there too. Maybe Obi struggles, we would have to see. But I think the obvious solution to at least try would have been going with Randall and Obi and then when you run those pick and those those pick and rolls to draw the trap, you have Obi kind of split the fucking or uh, slip the screen, and now all of a sudden you drop him the ball and he gets to go three on four or four on three, and I think that's a totally different ball game. And like I know they tried that with Julius a few times, or like I don't even know if they really tried it. I think it kind of just like happened intuitively, um, or like they swung it to Julius and the defense didn't rotate fast enough to to kind of like keep him outside the paint but like julius is not the type of instinctual quick quick twitch passer that obi is um and that to me is the big difference and like also uh similar to obi i think you saw that grimes was effective against his own because not only is he always moving to find the open space but he also makes quick decisions with the ball whether it's shooting or passing and that's what you need against his own you need guys that are making quick decisions and you need guys that can make plays on the free throw line uh, and that can play, like, especially when they're trapping out of the zone, you need somebody that can, that can play off of that. And I just, like, it was just very, it was very concerning to watch how disjointed we played and how unimaginative any of the coaching, uh, adjustments were because specifically I kept going back to that, having flashbacks of that Miami, those Miami games last year, because they did very, very similar things to what Minnesota did. And we similarly showed a very poor lack of adjustment. And some of that to me, like I think a veteran player like Kemba should recognize, hey, they're trapping me every time I set a screen. Do I really need a screen to beat Jordan McLaughlin off the dribble? No, I don't. I don't need that. But like, if you're, if that's constantly happening, then at some point it's not just about like Kemba needs to make better decisions or Julius needs to make better decisions. Then to me, it goes to the guy calling the shots, dictating how we're playing, what our strategies are. Um, and in that sense, I thought yesterday was as concerning as any game this season um, as far as Tibbs', uh, Tibbs performance and ideas go. I mean, definitely. I mean, it is difficult. Tibbs has extreme blind spots. Like, for all his virtues, his blind spots are sort of glaring and consistent. And then when you when you go up against a team like Minnesota and Chris Finch is sort of like polar opposite in terms of his willingness and, um, you know, his trigger in making adjustments, he kept the Knicks off balance all night. So sort of oscillating between the trap and then the zone and then just sort of a traditional defense that sort of baited these Randall ISOs. And we never got into a rhythm, you know. Uh, we struggle at the best of times to find rhythm. The whole season has been like a search for rhythm. And then last night, it was just like a microcosm of it. And Tibbs, Tibbs, he doesn't really have an answer for that. 
if he's not willing to try things that make him at least a little bit uncomfortable and, and take a couple of risks with Obi, then yeah, you know, he, he, he's just feeding the beast with Julius and Kemba where they're just going to get into their bad habits. I don't think Kemba really could have done anything last night. I mean, I thought we got some good stuff when he got rid of the ball, especially early on. We were swing, swing. <laughs> and you're right with Grimes. Grimes is just such a good connector. Uh, the first stretch the first stretch the starters played at the start of the game was great, but that was before they went to the weird trapping. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Um, and they just needed to do more of that. We just... It's such a strange team and like, you know, to zoom out from the this individual game a bit, I thought, you know, when we talk about the Knicks, I don't even know what we're talking about. Like there's been like five or six or seven different versions of the Knicks. It's so disjointed. The only constant really has been Julius and maybe Fournier playing. Um, their minutes. Has Fournier, Fournier hasn't missed a game, has he? I don't think so. And he and he's just been sort of blah all the way he's through. Been, he's been missing in games, um, <laughs> but he has not missed a game. No. He's had stake related absences, <laughs> but uh, that's uh, that's about it. And it's just very difficult to sort of pass out what's real and what's not because there's been so many different versions of the Knicks, like pre Kemba benching. Then you've got the little Alec Burke stretch. Then you've got this little COVID stretch. I it's difficult to ascertain solutions when you don't really have a handle on the problem necessarily i totally agree with you with tibbs and his sort of inflexibility with utilizing ob as an answer to certain problems that other coaches just force on them um but as a whole this whole season's just been bizarre you don't even know who you're playing like we played minnesota last night but did we really like we've played we played i, I have um, no idea what nathan like nathan knight if you, <laughs> i have no idea what his strengths and weaknesses are as a player it's no, a, it, no, no idea at all. It's absolutely bizarre. You know, the last month, there's <laughs> going to be sort of a six-week stretch of, in the middle of this season, which is basically meaningless because, uh, you know, neither team is the real version of themselves. And especially in trade season, it's just going to be pretty bonkers. But I agree. The concerns with Tibbs are absolutely real. And then I don't think he's going to change. Like, I think it's just who he is. And I don't think that should sort of engulf the discussion about who Tibbs is. He doesn't define him as a coach that he has these blind spots and, and, uh, and won't sort of um, use Obi or like re-optimize Julius's role accordingly, but it is a problem. And for me, it's more of a shining light on the front office to realize that it's a problem and take away a few of his crutches. So he's sort of forced yes. into it. Like, they have to be aware of what's happening. I mean, you have to have an honest discussion with him. Like, yeah, if you're the front office, one, Noel has to go. He's so fucking worthless on this team. He serves no purpose anymore. Um, I got why they, I understand why they brought him back. I don't think, like, I'm not one of the, I, I don't think it's this horrific contract that people want to, like, people cry about the contract a bunch. It's not a big deal. It's two years, 17 million. That salary that can be useful as trade filler. I don't think it prevents you from doing anything. It's it's honestly just small potatoes. Even if it's even if you want to put that under it's a mistake. Like in the grand scheme of mistakes, that is that is the type of mistake you look at any single team in the NBA, they all have a mistake like that somewhere on their cap sheet. Not a big deal. Um, but he needs to go. I think I, I think they've like the thing with the front office is you got Obi Toppin, you drafted this guy eighth overall. Yes. Do do I believe this whole like, you know, media push they put out last year of like yeah well actually you know 
we talked to Julius before everything and we wanted to keep him. And like, no, I don't buy any of that. I think they drafted Obi because the plan was let's pump up Julius's value and then move him when we can. Um, problem being is that Julius played so fucking well that it changed the calculus. That's fine. That happens. Like it's a credit to them that they didn't, that they were able to, they adjusted their plan on the fly. That said, um, you need to adjust the plan again because Obi is playing at a level that that's, it's probably the level you hoped he would play at when you drafted him. Right. And for him to be doing that in his second year, I don't care that he's 24, like second year performance is really good. He's as good as many 24 year olds. You know, there, there are many 24 year old players. We're not any playing anywhere near the level Obi Toppin is. So the age thing, it's a stupid thing to bring up. Um, He's playing so well and he's improved so much at the things he was bad at specifically everything to do with defense that you have to, you have to make Tibbs see that he has to play him. And if that means that you have to trade some of his safety blanket guys like Noel, if you have to make up an injury for Taj, if you like, if you have to do things to force Tibbs to play the guys that need to play, um, yeah, that, it, that, and that's what needs to happen. Like I love, I love Alec Burks. I would like to keep Alec Burks. Um, I would prefer to trade Evan Fournier than Alec Burks, but we don't live in the world that I want to live in. We live in a world where numbers matter. Uh, and the number that matters is Burks two years, 18 million guaranteed versus Fournier three years, 54 million guaranteed. Uh, guess which guy is going to give you more value in trade. Guess which guy is easier to deal in trade. It is the, it is the former. It is Alec Burks. Um, if you need to trade in to open up minutes for Grimes, so be it. Like, so be it. Uh, if you need to trade both to open up minutes for Grimes and Deuce, so be it. I'm not saying that's the wise thing to do. Just laying out kind of what I yeah. think. But you need to like they, I think they need to trade one of Burks or Fournier, and they need to trade Noel uh, because you need to make sure that there are no security blankets for Tibbs. There are no like it was. I mean, yesterday was pretty jarring, and somebody brought this up in the Discord. I don't remember who it might have been Omar, um, but like. I, and maybe quickly was on a minute limit. That's very possible because before the game, it didn't even sound like he was going to play, um, which thank God he did because, you know, he was a lot better against that trapping zone yeah. stuff than, than Kemba was, um, which again, I'm not, this is not, that's not really, really a knock on Kemba again. There's more about tips to me. But um, anyway, uh, the point being is just like, quickly, did, I don't even think he really struggled actually in the fourth. I just think guys missed shots. And then, Tibbs' solution was, okay, immediately to pull quickly and then bring in Kemba, who five games ago we <laughs> thought would never play for the Knicks again. So, like, this, this like, leaning on of veterans is so it's, – it's actually counterintuitive to the thing that Tibbs wants above all else, which is to win games. Yeah. Because if you look at us and how we've played this entire year, the consistent theme is – when we play more of the young guys, we play better and we get better results. Like that Houston game where Deuce and quickly went off. I, I think if Kemba, if Kemba was in the rotation at that point, and if Rose hadn't gotten hurt, I'm not sure we win that game. I actually think we probably lose that game. Mm. Um, and like you can do this throughout the season, right? We have how many games have we seen where like the starting lineup with more vets sucks? Bench comes in with more young guys and energy and they turn it around. And it's just like, even when Rose left the bench unit, right? Because he had to start or miss games or whatever. 
that bench has still stayed good, which is why the entire thing of like, well, Quickly only plays well because he's playing off of Rose is like kind of stupid to me. Yeah, it's bullshit. So um, this is not supposed to just be a Quickly thing. Like the point being, I just think he has to play the young guys more. And if he can't come to that realization himself, one, that needs to be noted by the front office when they're making their long-term decisions at the end of the season. Uh, And two, it is something they need to address with some roster cleansing um, as soon as they can, really, in my opinion. Absolutely. And what's the point? I mean, when, when we hire Tibbs, obviously, you know, a lot of the discourse was about the relationship with Leon Rose. What's the point of having that relationship if you can't have these difficult discussions? It's not to sit down and, you know, at the end of the day and sing Kumbaya together and just pat each other on the back. The whole point is you have to be ha- be able to talk to each other and be honest and, and have that relationship that stays intact when you have, you know, discussions about different priorities. And um, the kids, I, I'm, I cannot be higher on Grimes and McBride and they just, they have to play. I, Burks has to go just to remove that option as a point guard because, you know, Tibbs has a fetish for Burks at point guard and it's just bizarre. I, I was shocked that he went to quickly first yesterday. Like, genuinely, I was like, <laughs> Burks isn't coming in right now? That's great. Is he injured? Is he hurt? Yeah. Is he had a stake? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, quickly quickly has the best on-off numbers on the team now. Uh, he's, he's, he's been a constant, exactly the same as Obi has, really. He went for a little shooting stretch that was a little bit of a slump. But decision-making-wise, you know, all these playmaking things, getting toes in the paint, he has ticked every single box. And defensively, you know, quickly McBride and Grimes are our three best perimeter defenders this year. You know, RJ has these weird lapses where he's just not on the same planet as, as what's going on. I, I really wouldn't hate it if we just played those three and, you know, together some, just to see what we have. Like the front office has an obligation to find out how good these guys are and not to turn this season into a sort of precursor to next season. as like a little warm up, but we really do need to know what we're dealing with before we move forward. And they will have conversations this summer and probably in the next month or so about guys like there are a few guys on the market and Leon is going to be on the phone if you're going to be including these young guys names who are the absolute heart and soul of the team this year um, then you have to know what you've got you know you have to know how to value them and and at the moment we just don't know that so uh, there has to be a change whether it's it's Tibbs coming to a little eureka moment or whether it's the front office sort of um, forcing him into it, there, there has to be something that's happening because, you know, Randall will have good games. He will shoot well. I think he's definitely our best player. He's just outstretched. You know, he, he cannot function as this type of guy and look good consistently every night. And Tibbs is just enabling him by saying, yeah, keep banging your head against that wall. You know, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. There has to be, it's his job to optimize his role. And if Randall can't get there and perform better, then he has to change the role. Um, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing, but yeah, I think the Julius discussion is pretty interesting. Um, and look, yesterday was not, and he had a possession yesterday that like he got the ball on a kick. Is this the he, foul line one when he's wide yeah, open? Yeah, that entire sequence was so oh. weird because it's like he passed up a three, but then he also passed up kicking it to RJ in the corner. Then he put the ball on the... Well, first he caught it at the free throw line, right? <laughs> wide then, open. Yeah, he first catches the ball at the free throw line wide open. He doesn't want to shoot that. And I, I, this is something I've been wondering about. I do wonder if there is some, like... Because we've 
before the season, we heard all about like how we want to shoot more threes and stuff like that. And if you look at our shot chart as a team, it is a lot more like analytics friendly. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if there was some kind of instruction proposed or intimated to players of like not taking as many mid range shots because something like that just looks. I I don't think that's just like Julius as a basket case thing. That just seemed <laughs> like that, and that's happened a few times this year. So like that, I, I wonder with that if that's something where they're like, you know, hunt for threes and shots at the rim if you can. Which is fine, but it's totally undermined by the fact that Randall dances into a bit about seven long mid ranges a game. Yeah. Where and it's and it's it's also like that. That's fine, but it's also like if you're wide fucking open, obviously then take it's a the free shot. Throw. Like like yeah, <laughs> it's an easy shot. Like you, you work for shots that are much harder and settle for shots that are much harder. Like I I, I don't know. It's like a habit thing, and. You know, he was just amazed. You know, obviously some guys, when you're wide open, sometimes it seems harder. And, you know, guys miss by a mile because they're just so open. But And you're not ready for it. Right? You're like, like, wait, why am I open here at the freezer line? That's it's just so bizarre. Weird. Like, if you just take, just pick up the money that's on the floor. Just just take it. It's, it <laughs> I can't understand it. His his shot selection, like, Randall fascinates me. Like, the, this, this Nick's Julius Randall era is just, it, it's so interesting in sort of a case study last year we somewhat gave him a pass because because of the limitations on everyone around him we said oh okay well when he gets help you know he won't have to do so much heavy lifting this will streamline his game this will cut out a lot of the the errors but weirdly this year now that there's sort of more uh more offensive sort of uh, artillery like we've got more weapons he has to make more decisions and it's sort of shining a light on those decisions again, like he's thinking his way through these DHOs, he's predetermining them. Like if the whole book on him now, there's a scout report, and if you get up into him on the DHO, you'll probably get like two steals a game, uh, just by confusing him. Like sometimes it works, but he's he's definitely finding himself, and he's not like you were talking about Obi earlier. He is not an intuitive sort of uh, manipulator of the defense when they throw curveballs at him when they're aggressive. He can't sort of leverage that the other way and get open shots for other guys or make a quick read. Or he can't, at least he can't do it consistently enough relative to his usage, like his superstar usage. And it's just, I don't think it's sort of ingrained. I don't think that's going to be the reality for him forever. But the growing pains are really stark this season. And it's bizarre because it's an easier game that he's playing, really. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.